Hey y'all, it's Jessie. Hi, it's Helen here. And you're listening to another episode of Asian Bitches Down Under. Hey guys, how's it going? Helen? Yeah, I'm doing well. Yourself? I'm struggling with back pain, struggling with being oh, in yeah. my 30s now. Goodness. It's um, it's a process of learning and being patient with yourself. I think that's what I'm discovering year by year as I um, head into my 30s. Mm-hmm. Um, just being okay with the fact that my body no longer heals as quickly as it used to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like I, I did some yoga the other week and then I must have just strained something. And then like I literally have not been able to move my lower back for a couple of days. Ouch. And you know, yeah. going to the physio is so expensive, right? Yeah, it is. I mean, it it's is. fucking awesome. I fucking love my physio, Steve, like really gets in there and... um. It's so vital what they do, but man, you need to be rich to access. Like I was just thinking, if I was in the states, I would not be able to afford. Like it's almost it's more than a hundred bucks every time I see him. Yeah, I know it's expensive. It's just these things we take for granted. I know it's Your crazy. Body, it's especially cr- the body. Exactly yeah. anything to do with the body. I just think <sighs> healthcare, all those ugly, boring things that we never think about. You know. When you're younger. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. Gosh, yeah. I, when I was in my 20s, I was being bashed around on the frisbee field day in, day out. Like I would fall, literally fall on my knees and it will be violent. But like literally the next day I would be okay. Yeah, yeah. I think. Like did you feel once you hit 30 mm-hmm. um, that your body just no longer <laughs> recovered as quickly? Yeah. <laughs> I think I've been saying like almost – more often now than before or ever that I, I hate mm. being old. <laughs> like I, just I actually love being older, really. In, yeah. I love – well, like I, I, I definitely don't uh, – I don't love the fact that my body takes much longer to recover. Mm-hmm. But I do love the, the things that I'm noticing getting older. Oh, yeah, the experience. Um, I yeah. love that. Yeah, no, uh, yeah it's just um, being patient with oneself and just learning that there are some things that are so fulfilling mm-hmm. that you do not – like. it's almost like the, the year by year as I get older. Mm-hmm. And when I ever, whenever I say this to people, they're like, oh, fucking hell, you're still in your early 30s. Like, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> but like what I mean is like when I, when I mean is like um, year by year I discover things – like I, I almost feel like there are – spectrums of my selfhood Mm -hmm. that I did not even think was possible when I was in my 20s and it's and if I had told my 20 year old self about these things she would not have even tried to listen to me she would tell you to fuck off (laughs) you know yeah exactly she would say the only thing that matters is getting a lot of sex (laughs) with men and I don't know like looking good you know all these parameters that we have for a fulfilling life are so different in your That's 30s right. and yes. I love yeah I love growing into that yeah. wisdom you but know it's not the physical feeling that we're encountering now as in our body's yeah. not taking up as much yeah I can understand yeah like you had a bit of back pain a few weeks yeah, ago yeah right? I did it was from yoga as well it's just so strange I think really yeah because during this period you know with the pandemics everyone's like pretty much cooped up in their own houses and you just have to f- find something to do yeah I think exactly. a lot of people yeah. has turned to yoga I mean for me I'm I, I never really liked yoga but it, it really I, I think it really kind of pushed my body to the max to 
Yeah, just the physical exercise. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of yoga, I went on a yoga date with a guy last mm-hmm. night. So he invited me. It was a first date. Um, oh, okay. And I feel still a bit upset about it because here's what happened. Um, I feel hurt by it. So um, he told me that he was going to book a class in for me, which I thought great, awesome. Mm-hmm. It was on the other side of the bridge, so in Chatswood. Oh, okay. And so it's completely not my scene. You know, it's so different. Mm-hmm. The um the demographic. The yeah. I would say. Chatswood people are just as rich as like in a West Sydney people, but they're just very different, right? Yes. And uh, I went there and I thought it was nice that I, I just thought it was a great way to meet someone, you know, because I love yoga mm-hmm. so much. And then I discovered when I got there that he had also invited his neighbor. Oh, okay. And this neighbor was this like young, hot girl. She was so hot. And then she ended up coming to dinner with us as well. Okay, so did he set the like? What the did fuck? Did he set the parameter properly? As in, like, is it only a date between you two, or did he tell? Yeah, he didn't. He didn't tell me that the neighbor was also coming to the dinner, and so okay. I felt like, even though it was very like, you know, how I'm approaching dating now, it's like you know, very lighthearted. Mm-hmm. I was, I was, I didn't actually mind that she was coming to yoga with us uh, or the dinner but I would have appreciated that he told you before yeah, yeah I, know. I know I think it's a courtesy that he's supposed to have I know yeah. and it's a first date yeah. as well and you never know whether or not he was just trying to get that girl out of his, her house do you understand what I mean yeah. like sometimes I know that yeah. there are guys or girls that's trying to I don't want to use the word manipulate but yeah utilize mm. someone else saying that oh yeah it's going to be like a group scene trying to receive more yeah, yeah. um Attentions, yeah, from that individual person. Attention. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I almost felt like, I mean, he was very friendly and this dude mm. was like, he was not a dick at all. The way they interacted was, it was clear that they had something going on, uh, that they were okay. friendly, they were friendly in a way that wasn't completely plutonic. Mm. And during the dinner, um, she was actually more interesting than he. Um, uh-huh. as, as often is the case, whenever I mingle with people, I yep. often find that I'm more attracted, not sexually, but more, uh, I found that the women are more appealing. Yes. Um, but, but I still felt a bit injured by the end of it. And I'm still covering from it this oh. morning. Cause I was like, I, I don't know why I feel hurt because like, I don't know this man. I don't have feelings for him, but I'm still trying to process the reason why I'm hurt. And I think it's because he used me under the pretext of like a date mm-hmm. in order to fulfill his own whatever. Maybe he was fucking her. Who mm-hmm. knows? Mm-hmm. But it still felt like I was being used mm-hmm. somehow, yeah. you know? And that I think is why I'm a bit hurt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can yeah. understand that. Yeah, he's at the fault of not doing you know having the courtesy of at least letting you know beforehand yeah. that it's actually gonna be like a three people date <laughs> yeah yeah which i wouldn't have mind mm-hmm. if he told me mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's just like the expectation and the disappointment afterwards <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i wasn't ex- yeah yeah i wasn't expecting sex mm-hmm. from him because i don't want to have sex on with any stranger on the first date that's not me you know how i feel about mm-hmm. sex now i like i could be cel- i'm very happy to be celibate for the rest of my life um, but it's still hurtful. Yeah, yeah. It still felt hurtful, which I'm surprised at myself. I thought that I wouldn't so easily be hurt, mm, mm. but maybe maybe I'm more sensitive than I yeah, care to admit. It's always hard to know. Uh-huh. On another note, what did you get up to this week? Okay, so I eventually finished uh, Bernadine Everesto's book, yeah. Girl, Woman and Other. Um, I think I mentioned mm-hmm. it before that her unique style of writing, it's something... That I think it's possibly to 
to going to become a bit more mainstream in the future. Cool. Okay. I mean, um, I just feel like that she's not following the very constrictive style of writing. You know,、mm. the words have flowed out so easily when you read them, and I felt quite connected with this book in the sense that the stories. Include culture clash, you know, mother daughter relationship, and、uh, essentially emotional roller coasters for black and people of color in Western nation. What I would advise for people who want to read this book is that try to complete the the reading in a short time because I took quite long. I think over three weeks to finish、yeah. this book, and because there's multiple characters in the story, like in the book, and they have intertwined or overlap stories, like you read to need to remember it from the very beginning. Of the book that the character will appear later in the book, and I really enjoy reading this book as、um, it portrays you know stories of characters from very different backgrounds. You know the intersectionality, being woman with conservative backgrounds, woman with adventuring out their sexuality, and also、um, there's trans people in the in the book as well. Yeah, great. And and how they struggle into in within the society, how they struggle with their family. I want to actually extend this the discussion of her book with a connection of a webinar that I've attended yesterday. Yeah,、um, cool. It's. It's it's gonna be kind of long rant over myself, but the webinar is actually conducted by University of Sydney's business、uh, faculty. I was invited as an alumni, and the topic was around leadership during pandemic. One of the expert on the panel, I think her name was Katrina Wallace, and she's an advisor on the ethical issue of around AI, artificial intelligence,、yeah. and she commented how AI will pretty much replace a lot of our current work. Yeah, right. By using the past and historical data and algorithm to process and produce the work, you know, for humans. But she said there's a flaw in the historical data, which she also mentioned the book Invisible Woman.、Mm. You know how a lot of Uh, historical data is actually quite flawed and biased and prejudiced. Yeah, and sexist. Every everything, everything. Of course, just, and racist.、Yeah. Everything. Yeah. Yeah. And what I'm thinking that perhaps the creativities from, like, for example, that used to be non-mainstream. For example, you know, like black, indigenous people of color, LGBTQI groups, and all other minorities. The group in the minorities, creativity will be a bit more valued because、yeah. we are currently. Perhaps I'm I'm just guessing, you know. I'm taking like a leap of guessing by saying that because our mind and our brain、uh, cannot be replaced by、uh, AI at the moment because there's not enough yeah, data in the past. Yeah, and hopefully yeah. that it will become a bit more popularized. Yeah, in saying yeah. that, I there's actually can you believe it? Like there's a、um, op-ed that's written by an AI called GPT Dash Three. That was published in the Guardian、yeah. so、this week,、mm, and、right. you can just you, you when you read it, you're kind of scared by it because you often think that、uh, opinion editorial is written by a human that's got a processed mind and、mm. a certain level of intelligence, and now、mm. you're reading a piece of 
um, article that's written by AI. Okay, what else that will be possible to be replaced by artificial intelligence in the very near future? Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, one of my ex-boyfriends, um, he was obsessed with AI, and um, a few years ago, when I was working on Lonely Girl, he told me that he was really intrigued by the idea that in a few years' time,、mm. AI computers will be able to write、mm-hmm. fiction、yes. novels, and apparently they already have. They already have like, and and people can't tell the difference between. A robot and a human writing a book,、uh-huh. which and like、uh, he was really excited about that prospect. But I remember thinking, I'm not interested in that. I'm not interested in replacing robots,、uh, replacing writers、mm-hmm, with robots.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, I understand robots replacing other human resources, but not not when it comes to the arts. Yeah, of I'm、course. not going to say creativity. I'm just going to say the arts. How interesting! That sounds like an excellent webinar. Yeah, it was. Yeah, like when she mentioned Invisible Woman, like it kind of remind me that. Yeah,、like, yeah I have to go on and read that book. Yeah, yeah, everyone has to read that book. I mean, I haven't read it, but、um, we often talk about how important it is for us to go. Definitely. Yeah, and I think that the the structure around culture discussions, I think that's going to be very. It's going to be ever changing. You know, you can't really have an AI to be involved. Without experience, I mean, you can have the data and algorithm within an AI, but how much that you know an AI can produce, you know, yeah. I, I mean, I never know, of course, until it happens. Yeah, yeah. let's take a, a a bit of a break before we move on to the cultural consumptions we took this、mm-hmm. week. We'll be right back, guys. <laughs> So welcome back to Asian Bitches Down Under.、Uh, this week, you know how Billy and I、uh, we're going through the witches、mm-hmm. kind、yep. of theme of the nineties, eighties, and nineties. So this week we saw the、e- Witches of Eastwick. Have you heard of that film? No, I haven't. I hadn't heard about it, but I. Oh no! Sorry, I've heard of the film, but I've never seen、mm-hmm. it. It's starring、um, massive, massive Hollywood superstars: Jack Nicholson, Cher, Susan Sarandon, and Michelle Pfeiffer.、Mm-hmm. It was a film、um, based on Up- John Updike's f- novel of the same name, and the novel, I believe, was published in 1984. And I'm trying to—we're trying to read it now. We've started a book club <laughs> together,、mm-hmm. um, and the film was、um, filmed in 1987, so the year I was born, and it was so fucking weird. It, it's so weird. That's all I have to say <laughs> about that. Seriously, that's all I have to say about that. It's. About these three women who are divorcees, and they conjure up a man, and then this man turns out to be some like Trumpian, wild, weird beast.、Um, for all you listeners out there, probably don't watch it. I wouldn't recommend watching it because after we watched it, we were like, "That was fucking weird." But I'm going to read the book now, and I guess I will circle back and tell you how the book、uh-huh. is. I've never read any John Updike. Uh, so it'll be interesting. Do you think it was appropriate? Maybe was was it set in the eighties? Yeah, nineteen eighty seven. Uh huh. Okay. Oh, the book is apparently set in the sixties. Oh. But the、okay. film was set in the eighties, so it's interesting.、Mm. But、uh, Michelle Pfeiffer, far out. She is absolutely stunning when she's、mm-hmm. young. Yeah, Just absolutely stunning. Yeah. And、uh, so、there's a great scene where Susan Sarandon, she's a cellist and a music <laughs> teacher in the、okay. in the film, and there's a great scene where she. She's playing the Dvorak cello concerto. She's going wild,、uh-huh. and then, and then she kind of、um, starts feeling like Jack Nicholson comes over with a fiddle and he plays for her, and they start like there's sexual tension that builds up, and at one point she plays this climactic phrase in the Dvorak 
Uh-huh. I believe it was the first movement of the Dvorak cello concerto. Mm-hmm. If you haven't heard it, guys, it is the best cello. It is the best concerto, I think. Yeah, and there's one scene where she kind of gets turned on by him, and then her she throws her cello off the floor, off herself, and then the cello just like starts erupts into flame. What? It's so funny that scene. Yeah, it, it just erupts into. It's like that scene, you know, that scene in The Simpsons where Homer's making breakfast for Mr. Burns, uh-huh. and then er- he burns everything up, everything he does, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, yeah, then, going and then and then yeah, and then he and then he pours cereal into the milk into the cereal, and then uh-huh. it erupts. <laughs> yeah, to say it's like that. Okay, that is weird. Um, yeah, I, I love that scene. Um, but anyway, Helen, what did you consume? Uh, apart from Everest, though, I haven't yep. really um, watched much this week. Kind of been following the one of the social debate in Taiwan uh, because last week there was uh, a massive social so, social news that came out of uh, a woman who committed suicide, which you know you don't really happen to see in a lot of Western media's because we don't tend to report you know suicidal news. Um, it, it when erupted in like a social media in Taiwan is because that she left a note saying that my mother-in-law killed me. What the hell? So it kind of opened up a, a whole conversation about the complicated situation between daughter-in-law and mother-in-law in Taiwan. Which is so fucked up. Can yeah. I just tell listeners? Yeah, it is. It is so, so fucked. Yeah. You know, the continu- continuation of perpetuated, you know, of power dynamics and yeah. intergenerational issues in I like from my experience, I can only talk about like Taiwan background. Um, perhaps yep. it happens in all other you know countries with a very conservative yeah yeah and traditional family values. I think um, because generally that in Taiwan when you're married, you're considered to be married into your husband's family. That's right, and it has been a lot of problems, and I've heard a lot of issues between. Daughter-in-law and mother-in-law that because they have to be, they need to live together, you know, some kind of filial POD kind of shit value yep. that they continue to have. So often that the daughter-in-law end up, you know, like serving the mother-in-law. The mother-in-law, yeah, like a slave, literally, literally a slave. I'm not joking. I'm not yeah. joking at all. It, it kind of remind me of one of the news that happened in China last year. A woman died when she was giving birth because her husband's family refused to sign the paper for her to go into C-section. The mother-in-law insisted her of having a natural birth. Oh, my God. So it's su- it was such a tragic. That is so fucked. Yeah, it was so what fucked. What the fuck? We live in such a fucked up world. I'm... I just don't understand it. I do not understand it. So what happened with this news was that um, people start... The news in Taiwan. the news in Taiwan is that people starting to, you know, dig up, you know, what happened with this woman. How she... she, Was she, like, having mental illness? Was it really that she was being pressured with by her mother-in-law? So people found out um, what happened was that she had a great job. Like, she had a great career path and she's got kids herself. And she married mm-hmm. into like a very like reasonable wealthy family, and yep. mm-hmm. apparently that her husband was having an affair, but the mother in law was covering it for the son and yep. saying that oh it's because it's like she's literally blaming the daughter in law blaming yeah, the, the wife, wife saying that yep. oh, because you're not satisfying him that's why he's going now his yep. way to find other woman picking up all sort of fights you know they, I just don't understand why woman would 
going down going down that path of deliberately conflict uh, with another woman. You know, it, it feels really bad for me seeing stories like this. I just picking up issues from about her daily life. You know, complaining about how she is failing to parent her kids and yeah. just bits and pieces. I think that's probably pushed her over the cliff and you know took her own life, which is really sad. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I think what we often don't know here in the West is that there's an incredible amount of pressure and a lot of historical baggage, which is so inseparable. When you are when you do become a wife in places like Taiwan, you're really joining a very long line of women in history who, once you become a mother, ah,、uh, sorry, once you be, once you become a wife. You are part of this cohort, and you are obliged. There's a very much standardized obligation in which you、mm. are.、Mm. You become very much a slave to your husband's mother, and you follow not just your husband's rules, but almost it's almost like your husband's mother has even more takes on a grander importance than your own husband, because your husband, being a man. And the Asian man in the Asian society is filled with so much responsibility and duty, and and what comes with that duty and 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 that responsibility is the sense that he owes his whole life, whole life to his mother,、mm. and for the rest of his life as an adult, he needs to really do as much as he possibly can to satisfy his mother. There is no, there is no making your mother unhappy, and and what, and what the wife needs to do once she becomes married into that family is she becomes part of that obligation to fulfill any desires that the mother has. It's almost like it's almost like in the in the East. What I find is that you become a wife and you struggle for about forty years becoming a wife, and once you have your son,、um, you get to then boss around your son's wife because you. Had suffered for so many years,、mm, mm. and you feel like you're a, you are now in a position at the age of sixty, seventy years old to demand that you are respected because you have gone through all that suffering with your own mother-in-law.、Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's just like a cycle of fucking abuse. Exactly, I agree. It's a cycle. It's、yeah. absolutely a cycle. And I don't know how that's going to be broken because feminism, in the way that it's Evolved here in the West has not evolved in the East,、mm-hmm. not at least not、yeah. not in the mainstream way. It hasn't leaked out、mm-hmm. into the mainstream populace, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so I I really don't see how that will change. What do you think about that? Um, I am seeing like older generations, but very very few um feminists that's starting to change around the values. You know, surrounding family and society, but I think it's just not enough. People avoid talking about it. I mean, think it's also down to economical impact as well. One of the lawyer who was commenting on this news, he said that the only solution is that don't ever live together with your in-laws. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But a lot of people don't get that option. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, unfortunately, exactly. 
But I think if you don't get that option, fucking don't get married. It's not that easy. A lot of women are required to get married. It's not a choice for them yeah. in this world. Oh, fuck. That's something we often don't remember. Remember when we when we're talking about marriage, um, it's often under the guise of um, liberation and choice here in the West. But marriage mm. is an obligation that is enforced upon women in other countries, in mm-hmm. in most mm-hmm. other countries, in fact, um, outside of the West. It's not a choice at all. Yeah. So we should yeah. never forget that. Yeah. So let's take a break before we launch into our main segment for this week. Yay. We'll be right back, guys. Oh, welcome back, guys. So this week we wanted to talk about this thing that both Helen and I have been intrigued for a long a long time for me mm-hmm. it's something that i've never sat down to explicitly interrogate this idea of sexual empowerment and what it means mm-hmm. so a few yeah. weeks ago we were approached by a a woman who runs a business selling lingeries and helen and i started thinking about why neither of us wear lingerie cuz i don't mm-hmm. yeah i think helen and I and I started asking all my friends and we all my friends were like yeah we only buy like the most expensive lingerie I've ever bought is from like Bonds mm-hmm. um, I actually once mm-hmm. bought Calvin Klein lingerie when I was like 24 um, because I was like what's the whole fuss with good lingerie and then I bought it and it was like $100 for the entire set like mm-hmm. top and bottom and it was very it wasn't sexy like I've never actually bought sexy sexy lingerie um, mm-hmm. Calvin Klein is quite minimalist you know and I bought it um, thinking I it might make me feel like a real woman because I had just mm-hmm. started a full-time job at 24 and mm-hmm. it did not change my relationship to my body at all, at all, mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, like, the last bra I bought was, like, three years ago from Kmart. Like, I'm just so... You know how um, Helen and I started talking about, like, what makes us feel sexy because we were like, well, maybe people buy lingerie to feel sexy, Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have never felt like when I wanted to feel sexy with a partner, I just fucking get undressed. Like I just, I just, I'm <laughs> naked. I think for me, nakedness uh-huh. is sexy. Yeah. What's, what about you? What were you thinking? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. What I was thinking is that on the turn sexual empowerment, like I, I want to separate sex and empowerment first, you know, like empowerment for me is being the idea of confident enough that I don't care the judgment of others and just to be myself but at the same time you know not really eroding the values that I have for example you know moral ethical values yeah um as I consider that I'm a bit I'm pretty progressive person and of course there are things that perhaps that I'm not informed yeah aware or informed Mm. enough Mm. to engage to understand yet um empowerment for me means that i can take control of what i do and at the same time understand the consequences of my choice Mm. i think the main part of empowerment is the consequences you know not like i guess it's probably different for everyone and it's definitely give and take in everything uh as in for empowerment for us here today you know to construct identities around sexual um empowerment and how we're representing ourselves for others yeah exactly through the lens of all ourselves not you know the others 
Yeah. Yeah. In saying that, you know, sexual empowerment yeah. for me is knowing when to say yes and when to say no. Totally. Uh, the idea around consent, you know, first and mm-hmm. most important, I think. I guess, yeah, I guess a lot of people gets down to start thinking about confidence and their body and their, whether or not they're okay to showing it off and not afraid to step out of their mainstream ideas of you know, sexual beauty standards and all that. Um, part of, partly for me is like um, you understand your own libidos you know, and your own intuition about your body and when you want or not want to have sex, of course, down to the choices of by myself, not the other people, and not obviously not what the social expectation. In saying that, I think it is includes yeah. <laughs> you know the choice of using sex toys yeah. and how individual chooses to pleasure yeah. themselves, and also setting boundaries <laughs> with your sexual partner. You know, some people are fine with having multiple sexual partners, but others are not. Uh, a lot of my friends are. It's so normal. I I have the most vanilla sex life. <laughs> vanilla. I'm so vanilla when it comes to sex. <laughs> yeah. I, I think we'll be talking about. Did we 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 mentioned that we want to talk do a part about the pornography, didn't we? Yeah. Oh yeah, polygamy. Um, polo, po- polyamory. Polyamory. Yeah, that's right. yeah. yeah. That's that's the term. Yeah, yeah, we'll do another pod on that once I like do a couple of workshops and interview a few people. Yeah, but it's a massive issue, yeah. Do you want to finish your your thoughts and then I'll jump in? Yeah. Okay, so I guess it's really down to very basic, like for the fundamental ideas about body autonomy, yeah. you know, how we teach kids and how we extend it to our sexual life and sexual relation in our adulthood. Yeah. Yeah. I love everything you've said. And my own feelings overlap with a lot of what you've said. So when I mm-hmm. sat down to think about what the idea of sexual empowerment means for me, I think, like you said, it means being able to express my own sexuality and this is the second part that's the most important on my own terms Mm -hmm. that is what's really the crux of what i feel empowerment means as a woman on my own terms because often our sexual experiences are not on our own terms often it's Mm -hmm. on the terms of the man who's like if you're a hetero woman you're having cis straight sex man with a six sorry straight sex with a man it's often the man who ends up dictating what goes on and the man who decides when the sex stops because, you know, it stops when he comes. Sexual empowerment for me means to have power over my own decisions, over my own body, yes. like you said. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And having expectations of sexual pleasure in a way that makes me feel comfortable and nourishing and nourishing. Nourishing and mm-hmm. nurturing. That's right, yes. So many of my sexual experiences have felt either coercive or unpleasant or strained or awkward or forced not forced mm-hmm. by the man not not forced as in i have I've, i don't think i don't think i've ever been raped i'm still struggling to find the words to explain what had happened in my previous abusive relationship but um what i mean by forced as in forced by my own need and my own compulsion to feel mm-hmm. accepted and loved and in our society mm-hmm. the way to cure loneliness or the idea that you're not loved is by having sex Mm -hmm. that is probably one of the first things we all reach for um and you know sexual empowerment this idea would mean something very different if you're a disabled person for instance um Mm -hmm. cis people have it so much easier people who've been abused have it much harder there's a lot of trauma to unfurl and heal the wound 
Mm-hmm. And because sexual trauma has this shameful component of it to it, there's that added layer of your own shame. You feel you can't talk about it with people. And I think the reason why cis straight white men don't talk about feeling sexually empowered, you know, you never hear about a man usually saying, oh, I feel empowered sexually. It's because they tended not to have been within the groups of people who've had their sexual bodies exploited you know, mm-hmm. usually it's the marginalized groups who have fallen prey to perpetrators. And these perpetrators have been historically men. Now, obviously, I'm not saying that men are not victims of sexual exploitation. Like, you know, a lot of unfortunate men, a lot of victims of, you know, um, clerical sexual abuse have been men. So definitely, I'm not saying that mm-hmm. they're excluded. I'm just saying, like, men don't talk about feeling sexy. And that's interesting. Because they, there is not a lot, there's not a large distance between their outcome and their desires. Like if they want, yeah. if a man wants sex, they call, they call it being horny, which means that they have this desire that needs to be fulfilled. And because we live in a world built around men's desires, men have controlled the world. Men have ensured that when a man wants sex, he usually gets it pretty quickly without obstacles. Now, here I'm talking about straight cis men, obviously. Gay men have more barriers to jump through. So in Australia, um, obviously, they're less inhibited. But in places like Bulgaria, for instance, and a lot of other um, conservative societies, they still have to hide their desires and be sexually satisfied only in places like public toilets. Um, Mm. Like Garth Greenwell writes a lot about this in his two books. Um. And for any woman or person of colour or disabled person or non-binary person or trans person or any other marginalised group, there's a huge gap between this desire and this outcome. We need to fight harder to reach further and jump through more obstacles to close that gap between our desires and our outcomes. You know, like I I want to have sex with a safe, loving, generous, warm, kind-hearted, gentle, non-pushy, unselfish man. Someone who will respect my decision to wait, you know, even if I want to wait five years or whatever, that shouldn't matter. Yes. You know? And I guess what I'm saying is that historically, marginalized people have been more vulnerable to what, to to have their sexuality or their sexual desires exploited or, or used or manipulated by those whom hold higher sexual power and higher sexual capital. And in this world, it's the cis straight white people. And because of that, we've had cumulatively suffered more at the hands of those people who hold more cachet, more sexual power. Because in this world, to hold more sexual capital for a woman is intrinsically detrimental in a way that it's not necessarily for a man. So what I mean is that, um, so I know a couple of barristers. um, One of them is a very good-looking straight white male. He's very charming. And um, when he's in the courtroom and in his professional life, even though he's charming and obviously, like, sexually attractive, he's still taken very seriously in the courtroom and in his Mm -hmm. profession. Whereas I know this extremely attractive barrister female friend of mine, um, and she often gets treated differently around the the chambers. Like, even though she's just as smart and charismatic as this straight white guy, she is often, like, when people refer to her... Um, in the offices, you see the tenor in which people talk about her. And it's like she is the hot barrister. People refer to her as that hot woman because it's so rare to have a hot female barrister. And so, <laughs> yeah, when so it's almost like her beauty has become this distracting thing that diminishes her credibility. 
Mm-hmm. And so it's hard for her to be taken seriously. Um, and I just think about that when it comes to how a woman can perform sexual empowerment and where she's able to explore and project that on her own terms. Mm-hmm. I love everything that you just said, especially on the part where you talked about uh, nurturing and nurturing and nourishing that's why you know i think it needs to happen on the level both on physical you know the intimacy between the bodies and also emotionally as well which i think a lot of people fail to really understand that i agree it needs to be on emotional levels um, as well as the physical level yeah and by saying that you know in the comparison of cis male and you know and females how the society is particularly very sexist on you know everywhere almost you know you you see that ma- uh, woman you know what i'm talking about just straight w- woman um, mm-hmm. being objectified yeah firstly of their physical appearance before anything else, you mm. know, before her intelligence, before her emotional levels, before basically you just put, you know, her sexuality as a physical being, you know, objectified at first mm. rather than considering anything else. I, I've, I've got a, a quote here from the sex therapist, um, Jenna Burrito in Hawaii. You know, I think it's really important here that she mentioned mm. a couple of key characteristics of sexual uh, empowerment. She said that things like feeling free to express your own sexual interest, feeling comfortable in your own body, feeling mm. confident saying yes and no. Yeah. Also prioritizing your safety over the need to please others. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I just want to say I had a sexual relationship with this guy who I was in love with so many years ago and I found it hard to say no to him when we were in bed. When he ever he asked for something... I would always say yes because I felt so scared that if I said no, he wouldn't like me. Mm, mm. How fucked up is that? I am so ashamed of myself. I think it goes around the question between sexual empowerment versus sexual freedom and sexual validation. You know, like sex, yeah, like exactly. sex appeal for you, as in, you know, are you doing it for yourself or are you doing it through the lens of your partner? Yeah, and wanting to be loved. Yeah, yeah. Right? That's the thing. Like I'm, I was in my twenties. I was so desperate to be loved by this man that I he just did really awful things to me. Like I'm not saying he raped me, but just so awful that I felt embarrassed now thinking it back and thinking I wasn't brave enough to say to him, "Can you not do this? Mm-hmm. It's making me uncomfortable." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like what the fuck? I am so. I still. I feel so ashamed that I wasn't strong enough to say, hey, can you not do this to me? Mm, mm. I feel so bad. Do you think you have the strength to do it now? If no, well, refusing... Let's hope so. Mm. I, I think I do. Um, it's almost... It's almost. I, I still feel like I've been celibate for so long now, mm-hmm. uh, like a few years, and I feel like I don't know how I will respond, mm-hmm. to be mm-hmm. honest. I feel... That in the at least when I was having sex a few years ago, I felt that I was able to say no to the men I didn't actually love mm-hmm. um, easy, easier, mm-hmm. like easier. Mm-hmm. Like I was able to say no to guys I was seeing casually because I didn't like them. Whereas the men I really liked, I w- I found it hard to say no to them because I wanted them to like me back. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. That's so fucked up. I think it goes uh, with the idea of um, social desirabilities, you know, like how we're kind of bombarded with a lot of messages in the media, you know, like sometimes it could confuse us of what actual empowerment exactly. looks like. For a woman. Exactly. That's right, exactly. You know, we're, we're kind of conflated sexual liberation with sexual ability, mm-hmm. which is, I, I think it's a bit dangerous because I'm just reading an article earlier this week thinking empowerment could be a lot of sex, yeah. but I think in power, the important is that you get to choose. The, the power is, you, you know, you hold the power. I think, of course, there's always the power struggle, power dynamic between two parties or multiple parties when it comes to sex. When it comes to anything, power is political and power is intrinsically linked to every aspect of our lives. And I love our discussion today because sex is something where we haven't managed to talk about the power dynamics as a whole society in a very constructive way, in a very, in a way that's, that seeks to explain the realities of what we all face and our different metrics of sexual capital. In saying sexual capital, you know, you, we're talking about the currency between individuals. Yeah. And when we're discussing about that social desirability, I, I think the media have a lot to, to say about, you know, pretty much the proximity to certain standards like for us for what i've known is that is usually like the white whether or not that you're thin enough or you're wealthy enough those are pretty much in the asian standards you know by i think you need to be tall you need to be wealthy you need to be pale. Uh, white yeah. enough yeah pale enough to be to holding those currencies against who doesn't yeah, have exactly. those that you have the power over yeah. them to demand yeah, sex absolutely yeah. And to and to be the one who calls the shots, so to speak, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Helen, I want to know: Are you a sexual person? And you can interpret that however you want. I was going to ask you back, like, how do you define as a sexual person? Is in- how would you define it? If someone just asked you, "Are you a sexual person?" How would you answer that question? In, in regarding ha- having a lot of sex all the time, I ha- I honestly have no idea how to answer in without knowing the definition of the person who's asking me. But I think that I enjoy sex, mm-hmm. okay, and I like the the power that I have with my partner of when we have sex. I don't know how much privacy I need to go get into this, but I think we, like, I'm, I've got to get into yeah. the, like, age of having sex not in the same yeah. way as I was when I was younger. That's what I think yeah, because I don't think the quantity really matters. I think quality is more important for me. And aren't you like reaching your? You're reaching your. Helen's in her. I'm yeah. almost and forty. Isn't that like <laughs> the peak of woman's? Apparently, according to the fucking scientists, um, isn't that like when a woman reaches her sexual peak? Or I, I, I'm not. I don't know. I'm just asking you because it's like the general, like stuff I've heard. But I, I have to say, I don't believe that. Mm. I believe that I could, mm-hmm. like if I'm 78 and having amazing sex, I think that is actually entirely possible. I'm not going to let science and history dictate how i engage with my body you know fuck that i also doubt about like whoever who is the scientist made up yeah, those exactly who did the study all men. and all that <laughs> yeah honestly i think yeah, why yeah. should we listen to 
I mean, they, they, of course, they have scientific evidence at backgrounds as well. But as the years progress, you know, everything changes about our mentality, our intelligence, yeah, how we feel exactly. about ourselves. It's not necessary yeah. that when you reach your forties, or you know, that you you're supposed to have your sexual peak. I mean, that that framework yeah. is kind of like putting into the brains of all the women, and it's like the society expects you. That you be you should be sexually active or highly active yeah, during this exactly. period of time, yeah. which I think is really yeah. bullshit because you know you can have know. your peak sexual activity during your twenties, thirties, seventies, your seventies, yeah. And also, I think it's really down to individual, yeah. I don't think I'm the sexual person mm. I used to be. Uh, when I tell my friends about how long I've been celibate, all of them are like. What the fuck? Like they they're sh- all so shocked, and I'm like, it doesn't mean. It's almost like, it, like when I tell them the last when I had last time I had sex, it's almost like I've told them I'm still a virgin. That's how they respond. I'm like, for me, not having had sex in years is as is as boring and unremarkable and unnoteworthy as as if I said to you, Helen, I haven't had. Dumplings. Yeah. <laughs> for two years. Oh, no, actually, that would be bad. That would be bad. Dumplings. Okay, it's just like me saying I haven't gone mm-hmm. ice skating for two years. It's like, who the. Like, for me, it doesn't. It's so monumentally irrelevant. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like, to, to have sex. Like, I don't understand our whole craze around, like. About sex and like maybe, being a virgin. I don't know. Yeah. About sex. Yeah. Like,. I wonder, I wonder if I, like, say if I'm 55 and I tell my friends I haven't had sex in two years, I wonder whether they will respond as crazily as they do now. Like, I wonder if they think that's crazy because I'm kind of mm-hmm. still kind of young. Um, but I'm so viscerally disinterested in sex. Like, I think if I, like, I still, you know, like, touch myself and things. I still, I'm still a sexual person in that mm-hmm. I still want to pleasure myself. Mm-hmm. And I don't mind that. But, like, when it comes to engaging with a man, um, I'm, I haven't felt sexually horny or desirous towards mm-hmm. a man for years. And I'm just like, it, for me, it's almost like, yeah, it's like you seeking out you know, I don't know, uh, just this arbitrary, a meaningless, irrelevant thing that has, for me, it's so not part of my daily existence, you know, intercourse. I, I agree with you that I, I hate the how the society's framework around that when you reach a certain age, you need to be popped. You know how in like in high school, uh, we see all these this teenage movies that... Yeah, losing their virginity. Yeah, losing their virginity and... Yeah take it as a big deal yeah, or yeah. it's like a pathway to adulthood i think it's just really bullshit like what what makes what makes people think that if you become a non-virgin if you're not a virgin anymore you're an adult like you're a very yeah. immature person if yeah, you exactly. don't really consider all aspects of how sex impacts your life and you just take it for granted just like yeah i've done it and that's it it's like yeah, yeah, I smoke a cigarette. <laughs> I'm an adult now. You yeah. know, I think sex education is very, very important. I think you've seen, I don't know mm. if you've seen one of the um, posts I've shared on my Facebook yesterday about how Australia Education Department, they want to kind of put more sex educations in schools 
and yeah. I say like my comment is that you know fuck to those parents who say no to this you know because、yeah. I know that out there there's a lot of conservative parents that refuse to talk about sex education in their own household and they refuses the school to teach their kids about、wow. sex education. Yeah, I mean they think that okay if I don't teach them they wouldn't do it. No, okay, <laughs> for fuck's sake, it's an internet era, okay. And even without internet, without long cells, like back in the nineties, yeah, you get it from your friends, which is、yeah. you know so often is misguided or misinterpreted. Yeah, totally. So I remember when I masturbated as a young child,、um, I felt like a deep sense of shame. I thought that, like, I remember being、mm. a very sexual kid as a very、mm. young kid,、um, and I remember whenever I orgasmed, I would feel like. Disgusted with myself, and then it was only when I was like eight or nine, I read Dolly. You know, Dolly used to have this sealed section, and yeah, then that、Dr. was the、Dolly. first. Yeah, Doctor Dolly, <laughs> and it was the first time I came across the word masturbate.、Mm-hmm. And Doctor Dolly told me that what I was doing, there was nothing shameful about it. So fucking thank you, Doctor Dolly, for getting rid of my shame that I enjoyed taking pleasure in my own body as a young girl. Mm-hmm. I think because we grew up with such a conservative values around yeah. sex, yeah, that we haven't been taught about. You know, we've spoke in our previous <laughs> episodes about, yeah, totally. You know, our dad,、family. yeah, dad would like go <laughs> apeshit crazy whenever a kissing scene happened on a movie, as though like a a mouth to mouth action between a man and a woman was the most repulsive thing that he didn't <laughs> want us to look at. Yeah, I think the lack of discussion of you know Asian sexuality. Is yeah, it's pretty much like it's quite damaging. I think it's quite damaging for the young people、mm. that are not taught properly about sex, and、yeah. not just on the biological sense. I think a lot of things that are missing in, you know, in education as we're growing up is that the emotional level about yeah. sex yeah. that is often not really talked about. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And it's so hard to talk about, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, when I was growing up,、um, I was reading. I think I was reading Cleo, and I also was reading Cosmopolitan、oh, yeah. as well. Of course, there's still sections about sex,、yeah. so that's where I got my sexual education、yeah. from. And also, I've grown up with、um, for those people who are like for our listeners who are about the same age as me and with Asian backgrounds. I don't know if you know, there's a magazine from published in Hong Kong. It's called Yes.、Mm. I often get this from like bookstores in Chinatown,、right. like. During the nineties, and the I sec- didn't know that. Cool. Yeah, the sex education section is called Miss Sex.、Uh-huh. It's similar to Cosmo, Cleo, and Dolly.、Mm. You know, it's pretty much opened up the dialogue for you know the readers of the magazine. They can write in and ask questions, even though that they think it's really ridiculous. But Miss Sex, which is this section in the magazine, you know, she will go through it in the way that's. Doesn't sound embarrassing、mm-hmm. or ashamed,、mm-hmm. you know. As Asians, that we we pretty much grown up telling us family or elderly is telling us, you know, sex is shameful.、Yeah. You don't talk about、yeah. it. And when we have the pleasure of having sex,、yeah. that we question ourselves、yeah. whether or not is this shameful? Should should I be feeling like this?、Yeah. You know,、yeah. and that we can't really fully enjoy sex.、Yeah. Like there's always a barrier. Because of what we've been taught.、Yeah. I remember when I was a kid, like after I would orgasm. I would feel like this r- whole body rush of disgust, as though I had done something wrong, as though I had taken something that was evil and consumed it. Like it was this feeling of、um, 
like like what you said like like in asian culture to be mm. a hedonist mm. to take pleasure in your own pleasure is seen as deeply deeply wrong and deeply immoral mm. like if you did something for mm. your own pleasure you're supposed to feel guilty and i think that's what i felt like i felt that whenever i orgasmed and it was such a pleasurable you know orgasms are great you know like 5 seconds of sheer kind of bliss uh, like mm-hmm. nothing else mm-hmm. right it's a physical bliss um but um the asian societies have a very complex relationship almost like a very intolerant relationship to this idea of hedonism mm-hmm. sorry mm-hmm. um and you know it's seen like i said before shameful to take pleasure in your own pleasures especially mm-hmm. bodily pleasures because you know yeah. like across all societies we live in a we live in like in across a lot of societies because most societies are patriarchal we have been as women been given this idea that a woman's sexual um capacity is a dangerous thing you know like if yeah. we, every society yeah. in history has made attempts to control a woman's sexuality because there is nothing more dangerous than a sexually liberated woman mhm y'all know why men are scared of sexual women it's also particularly like damaging for asian women in a sense that um what i know is that how the society has framed around the stereotype or stigma around the perception of asian women you know being submissive yeah. obedient docile accommodating you know and also hypersexual yeah. you know in the media there's actually a very very damaging like and sexist idiom in chinese um you know, it literally means that a, a perfect woman should be able to enter the halls as elegantly as possible and create f- uh, perfect food from the kitchen as well as being hypersexual in the bedroom. So oh like in every God, aspect, that's repulsive. I think a lot of men are still following that kind of standard when you when they like finding a partner okay. it's just really shallow. Yeah. Um if you just look at how like I want to yeah. quickly mention, you know, how as for the Asian diasporas in Western nations, you know, the colo- also the colonialism impact of sexual influence. Um, I was just reading a academic paper by this uh, American Filipino woman, mm. and she wrote. Um, I'll I'll link that show note into our show note. Here's what she said: that there's a something about brown skin, white mind does so impeccable job uh, explaining how inter- internalized racism and a common misinformed for the um, Western colonialization, you know, the colonial mentality is kind of transferred into a lot of like Asian immigrants, mm. how we should um, teach them that white and Western is superior to our past culture oh my god yeah and how like psychological framework mm. for a lot of immigrants they say like the past or the older generations they think that because the western power is more superior yeah. so we should like just follow what their media is portraying us and it's kind of perpetuated and kind of doing a lot more damaging yeah like now we're trying to flip the other side saying that we want to create and also empower ourselves mm. around the framework of how the west is seen um asian woman mm. in the second in the sense of you know like sexual like the sexual representation yeah you know it's yeah. always very hypersexual yeah like in the media and, and entertainment i feel i'm listening to you say that all these and i'm loving everything you're saying but i'm also kind of laughing chuckling 
internally because you know um we have the shows like the bachelor and the bachelorette and i think they've never actually even been one asian woman like we are he- why mm. we are hypersexualized and yet we're not even considered by the broader australian landscape as mm. people who are worthy of love because that's ostensibly mm. why batch like women go on the bachelor because they want to say hey i'm eligible for this beautiful man but like yeah. like out of 114 women in the history of the bachelor's seasons in australia i think nine, 95 women have been white and the others uh-huh. have been like darker skinned indians or like indians oh, wow. who pass as white okay. like they're very beautiful uh-huh. or fair skinned indians like anglo indians yeah. but i think i'm pretty sure that we've never maybe we've had one or two asians but they've always been you know kicked out within the first or two rounds But yeah, we're just yeah. like we're hypersexualized and yet we're also we're not even considered as eligible romantic partners. Mhm. In saying that, I don't really watch Bachelor or Bachelorette. I just think that they're Oh, the last time I watched it was like in 2017 at my friend my friend's mm-hmm. Christmas party. <laughs> and it was like under the guise of a joke, but I think uh Yeah. Who's, who knows, right? Yeah. I think we we should be also like challenging the hegemonic, you know, how the West created narratives about Asian woman sexuality. I, I want to just bring up quickly about I, when I was doing the research for this part, like the me- memoirs of Geisha. I've read this book like、mm. so many, like so long ago, and also watched the movie. Yeah, and now I'm looking back, and like I always know that it was write, written by a white dude, but I never thought about yeah how. I never really questioned the way that he presented the story about this geisha, and to now、mm-hmm. that we're you know questioning why we, you know we have to question why and how the West have portrayed like、uh, Asian woman and their idea around how we should represent ourselves, and I just think that it's just ridiculous.、Uh, in saying that, I, I know that.、Um, I think I was just looking up at the Wikipedia. The writer, the author of the the book, Arthur Gordon. He's actually, uh, yeah,、William. Arthur Gordon. Yeah,、oh. he was actually sued for breach、oh. of contract and defamation of character. The, the retired geisha, uh, Iwasaki. So he based it on a real person. Yes. Yeah. I didn't know that. Wow. And yeah, so apparently they started to they they agreed to protect her anonymous you know status if she told him about you know her life and of course due to like some kind of traditional code of silence about their client、uh, he listed、uh, Iwasaki as the source of his acknowledgement so she wasn't happy later that they had a settlement、mm. outside of the、mm. court something like that. Um, but apparently Iwasaki, the geisha, that she actually、mm. later went on to write a autobiography, which shows、um, it's indicated on Wiki saying、right. that it's very different pictures of the twentieth century geisha life than the one shown in Gordon's novel. So I would actually want to read that book. You know, it would be it would be better actually through the lens of her own experience rather than by being written by someone else. Yeah, absolutely. Ah,、uh, to finish things、mm. off, I wanted to ask a couple of last-minute questions. Helen, why do you think men don't feel sexy, or do they feel sexy? Because I have never heard a white, a straight, sorry, a straight、mm. man say, talk about feeling sexy. And why is that? I think、um, because they hold more currency, <laughs> sexual currency. I don't think they. It, it's like they don't need to. Like they're the privileged group that they don't need to. Say do anything, 
to have you know women to present themselves to them I think that's one thing and when you were when I think when you sent me the question I was just thinking okay the first person I want to consider sexy I it's really hard because um like on today's pod we're just basically talking about a bit more physical yeah you know the intimacy between physical bodies and things like that but we haven't really covered the emotional intelligent levels because you can be attracted you you can be sexually attracted by another person's intelligent isn't it i think there's a term for it oh yeah and you know every time every time i say i like smart people mm. someone tells me oh you're a blah 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 <laughs> whatever that word is called that 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 term where you're only attracted to sexual um to intelligent people i'm so <laughs> fucking sick of that i'm like don't put me in a yeah. box i'm attracted to um i'm not attracted to intelligence i'm attracted to people who are cerebral and that doesn't necessarily mean mm. intelligence mm. you know intelligence is such a wide expansive right. spectrum yeah i i think i know what you mean um what i find sexy is actually has nothing to do mm-hmm. with sex. What I find sexy is someone who's really original, who's someone really undiminished by the idea of being themselves. And someone who's sexy is someone who um, I want to get to know, not necessarily someone mm-hmm. I want to fuck. And um, the sexiest people are always the most um, courageous in the sense that they don't give a shit what people mm-hmm. think about them. Yeah. And they don't try to be likable. Mm-hmm. They just be themselves. Yeah, like... Yeah, for me, that's always been the benchmark for, like, the most appealing kind of person is someone who is like, fuck everything, <laughs> fuck the world, and I'm going to think what I think, and that's all yeah. that matters. I yeah. love that. I I, th- I think I really love that. I, I think I love that, Um, I don't know what to call it. It's just this kind of gravitas of, or this hubris that doesn't call on the approval of any other human being or mm-hmm. group. Yeah, definitely. I think you just have to be authentic and connection with one another is, you know, not that easy nowadays. But in saying that, because we mentioned the management before that, you know, about how sex will be becoming in the future, which yeah. is really interesting. And perhaps that, you know, people should start thinking about sex, just not just, only on physical levels i think emotional intelligent levels is particularly important to be attracted sexually yeah yeah i think the reason helen why i am so disinterested in sex now as a someone in her early 30s is because i think back to all the sex i've had and then i think back to all the conversations i've mm-hmm. had with men and often the most profound moments in my life have been deep 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 um genuine conversations where i felt heart-to-heart connection Mm -hmm. with a man and um that has been something i haven't felt on an emotional level when i Mm -hmm. fuck someone like for me i value the emotional Mm -hmm. connection over the fucking that is why i think just i could be i'm so happy to be celibate for the rest of my life i remember telling this to a guy on a date a few weeks ago and he just looked at me like i said i'm a nazi lover (laughs) some yeah he just gave me the weirdest look he was like oh my god like and i was like and I felt judged. I felt judged by him because he made me feel like I, there was something wrong with me for not wanting oh, to God. have sex for the rest mm-hmm. of my life. But, like, I really... I don't say that to, like, invite men to try and mm-hmm. fuck me. I don't say that to try and lure people to try and fuck... I don't... I, I say that genuinely. I'm not interested mm-hmm. in fucking. And it might change next week. Yeah. It might change yeah. tomorrow. It might change yeah. never. But, like, I have been thinking this for years 
that I am so happy to not ever fuck Uh another man. Yeah, of course. That's empowerment for you. You know, you get the choice and the decision is whole within your hands. Yeah, that's empowerment for you. Yeah. Yeah, I think I just, what I'm, what I search for in life is not that kind of bodily connection. Mm -hmm. It's not corporeal connection. Mm -hmm. I search for something that's outside of the body. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great. Okay, so now we're pleased to have Mary from Soy and Spice Lingerie collaborating with us for the very first time on our podcast as we discuss the topic of sexual empowerment. And I think I've um, either read or hear one of Mary's interview about her idea of starting a lingerie business for her intention to empower women and taking control of their own sexual identity. To me, you know, like when I read in, when I was looking at her business uh, name, the soy is in the reference of comfortable and how we Asians, you know, I don't know. I'm not sure about others, but at least this is how I perceive, you know, like soy milk, you know, the pureness and the health benefit of this item. As in for spice, I interpret it as an adventurous and gutsy experience one could take on. Um, I quite like the uh, concept of the combination of soy and spice because as a woman, you know, comfort in my own body is the first step towards feeling empowered in a sexual way. I think feeling content about myself is very important and also the self-satisfactory in sexual experience. So here um, is a clip about Ma- of Mary talking about how her experience and journey as an Asian entrepreneur in Australia and how she began to work on soy and spice. My name is Mary Lou and I'm the founder of Soy and Spice Lingerie. I've been working on Soy and Spice now for just under a year, uh, but before this, I had spent the last 10 years of my career in the startup and entrepreneurial space. Um, I actually started my entrepreneurial journey at the age of 19, where I had co-founded a charity with my best mate back in Adelaide. I grew up in Adelaide and I think it would have been second year of university. Uh, me and my best mate uh, started a charity called M Squared. So the charity was essentially aimed at supporting underprivileged children in China and Sri Lanka. So what we used to do was we held donation events and people would come and the proceeds would either go to an institution like an orphanage or go to a child in need directly. Uh, so we ran that charity for about five years. When I came to see in 2012, we were still running the charity, but it got a little bit hard because we were in different states um, and the logistics just got um, quite uh, difficult to manage. So we ended up shutting it down. But when I came here to finish my final year in my bachelor's degree in psychology, I started another business called Ori, which was aimed at helping international students find work experience. So um, when I told my mom that I was going to drop my psych career to become an entrepreneur instead, she freaked out. She was like, are you crazy? Do you even know what you're doing? And, um, you know, when the news went out uh, to the rest of my family, uh, my aunties and uncles were always on my back and asking me what the hell is going on. Uh, being raised uh, in a single parent family uh, with very traditional Chinese values, uh, I was always taught to stick to what I know and not to take too many risks. Um, but there was just something about entrepreneurship that I loved. It's a beautiful feeling to be able to turn an idea into a reality and people actually using it. It's actually quite magical. Uh, so since then, I've been a strong advocate in you know just keeping things a go. And you know, pushing your boundaries and just trying new things out. And so I recently spent four years at UNSW Founders, which is the startup hub at the University of New South Wales as a program manager. 
And so while I was there, I was、um, essentially helping the student-led startups that came through our doors.、Uh, so I was helping them with launching their businesses, coming up with growth strategies with them, and、um, connecting them with the right people within the ecosystem to accelerate their growths. So while I was at UNSW Founders,、uh, I, I realized that the number of male students that came through our doors was far greater than the number of female students. So I went to my manager at the time, and、uh, I was like, "Hey, look, I want to." Do something about this. I want to do something about it now. And he was quite supportive of me. And so I started a program called New Wave Founders, which was aimed at tackling this specific problem. So the program was a two-week-long incubator program、um, where we had invited thirty、um, undergraduate female students to join us. And we went out and sourced different mentors and speakers to come and join the program as well. And at the end of the two weeks, um, the students would then pitch their ideas in front of a judge, a panel of judges, and um, they would be able to receive um some sort of prize. Uh, so the program is actually still running today, and、um, within one year of running the program, while I was there, we actually managed to increase the number of female participation within entrepreneurship at UNSW by thirteen percent, and which is a pretty good number actually. I left UNSW founders at the beginning of last year.、Um, uh, you know,、I'm, I've always been someone that's. Uh, Uh, looking for new challenges, and、um, after spending four years there, I felt like my time was up.、Um, I needed to go and try something new, so I went and tried corporate for a few months. I tried uh, running uh, uh, managing uh, um startup hub in the city for a few months as well, but just wasn't right for me.、Um, I've all constantly. Thought about starting my own thing, and that's when I, you know, decided to make the leap of faith once again、um, to go back into entrepreneurship.、Um, so I've always had a love for lingerie, and when I wear it,、uh, I feel beautiful and I feel very confident. But when I talk to my girlfriends about it, hardly any of them wear it. So I really wanted to create a line of lingerie that they will feel comfortable in wearing, and create a brand that. Represents confidence、um, to love ourselves for who we are and to push our boundaries and give new things a go. And this could be wearing lingerie for the first time, or you know, putting your hand up for a new project at work, or you know, giving something that's completely outside of your comfort zone a go, like entrepreneurship, for example. The main obstacle for me,、uh, being an Asian woman entrepreneur, is the lack of、uh, representation in the media.、Uh, you know, I feel like we see a lot of the Elon Musk's, the Mark Zuckerberg's, but where are all the、uh, Asian entrepreneurs?、Uh, not just that, where are all the women Asian entrepreneurs? I feel like media plays such a huge part in our day-to-day lives, and especially as millennials,、um, and that's why. I really want to feature Asian lingerie models and just women,、uh, women across our community, openly discussing about topics like beauty standards, for example,、um, across all of our channels,、um, to show that it, this is okay, that there's really nothing to be afraid of,、um, that we can have an open and healthy discussion about topics like our sexuality, and we can and should be able to embrace our bodies、um, just the way they are, and、um, be able to express ourselves through lingerie and love it. So. And、uh, so I've been working with a company based in Melbourne called、um, Melbourne Fashion Labs on creating our first collection. So we'll be using natural materials because they are biodegradable at the end of their life. So I'm looking at organic cotton, or organic bamboo, for example.、Um, however,、uh, it's quite unrealistic for.、Uh, 
Andre line to be made out of completely 100% um, natural um, materials um, because things like lace, straps, and the waistband are all th synthetics. So in that case, um, we are looking at using recycled synthetics um, sourced from um, places like dead stock fabric waste um, production trimmings and um, vintage clothing, for example. So by using upselled materials for these things, uh, we are making sure that we use materials that's already in existence um, and therefore giving them a better use um, than going to the landfill. I'm hoping to launch this collection by uh, summer to spring next year. Um, fingers crossed if everything goes well. Um, that's the plan. So I'm very, very excited for that. So the last question you asked me to kind of touch on is what I consider as sexy. Um, I actually really love this question. And um, to me, I feel like what is sexy is being 100% comfortable with being you. And I feel like confidence is the most sexiest thing on earth. And so when you are 100% confident uh, with being yourself, um, there's nothing, there's really nothing else like it. Um, so that's what I think is the most sexiest. So thank you so much, Mary from Soy and Spice, for coming to our pod to share her experience. For our first ever col collaboration, we are holding a competition for our listeners to win a set of beautiful lingerie from Soy and Spice. So please check out our Instagram and Facebook uh, once we have this episode on air and follow the instructions to enter. Mary had, uh, has also set up a discount call for our listeners to purchase their product. Upon checkout on at their online store, enter the code hashtag Asian B. So it's hashtag capital A S I A N B for a ten percent discount. Um, our link soy and spices on uh, their website on our social media platforms. The winner of the prize will be announced in two weeks' time. So I really encourage everyone to follow uh, their page to stay up on date of the latest fashion and also the news from Soys and Spice. Okay, so it's coming to the end of our episode. Once again, thank you to our listeners. Remember to subscribe our podcast on Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcasts. Please give us a rating and review. You can also find us uh, our update on Facebook and Instagram. Just search Asian Bitches Down Under. We welcome discussions and feedback. So we'll chat to you next week. Bye.